Welcome to the BetUS College Football Show. I'm your host, Gary Seegers, and you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. It is week one. We had a pretty good week zero. Hopefully you guys did as well, but there is much to discuss, so we are going to go ahead and start rolling. Let me go ahead and introduce our experts. Each day, we have the same two guys, and they know exactly what they're talking about at all times. Me, maybe not so much, but we're going to start off on the left side here of your screen Parker Fleming, he is at Stats of War on Twitter. He's the numbers guy, the analyst, the numerical guru, as I like to call him. Parker, how you feeling after a big first week? Feeling great, man. I was uh, I was up late watching uh, Hawaii and uh, Vanderbilt. It just felt like, man, felt like I had uh, I, I was scratching an itch I hadn't been able to scratch in a long time. So loved week one. Show did great with our bets, and uh, uh, some of these matchups this week are just excellent for week one. We're going to get spoiled this week with great football, and I think we've got some great bets. It is a loaded, loaded slate. Last week, of course, was the appetizer. This week, Thursday night, all the way through Monday night, we have got bangers the whole time. Let's go to the right side of the screen. Our professional award-winning handicapper, he is Kyle Hunter. You can follow him at Kyle Hunter Picks. And Kyle, uh, just laid it out there last week. Got you a 1-0 start. Feeling good. You've had some numbers move this week. But uh, but how you feeling? Yeah, there's always a lot of movement here early in the year, so I think that'll be pretty common, but man, feeling great about that 6-0 and start for the show. That was awesome, guys, and uh, nice to see some games in week zero, and like you guys said, some tremendous games this week. I mean, it's hard to pick the top three or four games. There's just so many really, really good games, so excited to talk about it here today. Oh, most certainly. The TVs will be getting a workout this weekend. Let me go ahead and remind everybody, we do have quite a few people watching. If you could so kindly go ahead and like the video for us. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Uh, we are rapidly ascending to our goal of 5,000 subscribers for the season, and we're just beginning. So go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the podcast as well. That is the BetUS football show on any of your favorite podcast apps. But as far as YouTube is concerned, jump in the chat. We do a Q&A at the end of every show. And every show, let me go ahead and remind you, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So make sure that you've got that on your calendar, that you are set here for your lunch break. Uh, gentlemen, you know, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into this thing. Uh, last week record, I went 2-0, Parker went 3-0, Kyle went 1-0. Uh, not bad, not bad. Up 5.46 units on the week. That is a nice start to the season for sure. Now, it's not going to be like that every single week. But uh, but yeah, I, I feel pretty good about things initially. So we'll uh, we'll go ahead and and start this thing off. Let's go ahead and dive into the first game because we want to talk about these as much as possible. We're gonna start on Thursday, and we're moving to Central Michigan at Oklahoma State. Uh, this is a a fun fun matchup. Oklahoma State a 22 point favorite currently. It opened at 19. The total sits at 59 and a half. That's where it opened. Uh, you know, you look at this. It's at Boone Pickens Stadium in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, CMU 4-1 and one against the spread. Their last five is a road dog. They have hit three straight unders at the end of last season. Oklahoma State 7-3 and three against the spread against the non-con since 2019. So uh, trends in both directions here. Don't know which one we really want to look at. Jim McElwain enters his fourth season as head coach for Central Michigan, returns the quarterback Daniel Richardson along with the running back Lou Nichols III. Uh, they do lose the wide receiver Pimpleton along with two NFL offensive tackles. That could end up hurting in this game. Oklahoma State on the other side loses defense coordinator Jim Knowles along with a chunk of their back seven. 
but they do have a dominant defensive line here to go along with a senior quarterback in Spencer Sanders, along with multiple playmakers on the offensive side and the defensive side, really. My question here, and I'm going to start with you, Parker, on this one. Uh, can Derek Mason restock uh, the cover a little bit, develop that back seven uh, you know, in fall camp leading up to this ball game, or is Gundy going to have to count on the quarterback, Spencer Sanders? Uh, give me your ideas on this one. Well, I think that um, Jim Knowles is a loss at defensive coordinator. is one of the bigger losses in college football, but there is a lot of continuity on that defense. Um, I, I will say you cannot replace a Malcolm Rodriguez. I think I said that exact sentence on this uh, on this show before, but for Oklahoma State, that is going to be a big loss. They do have a lot of talent there, though, on that defense. And so this is a great game with a modern offense that um, was, was uh, you know, against a modern offense that was surprisingly pointy. And in that 7-1 stretch to end the season for Central Michigan, they scored 42-54, 37-31, um, and then hit over 30 in their loss as well. So this offense for Central Michigan and uh, with Daniel Richardson at the helm can put up some points. It's going to be a good chance for Derek Mason to kind of move from paper to reality. Um, I know that Mike Gundy's feeling really good about this team and, and, and about what they're able to do with the continuity on the offensive side of the ball and maybe some health on the offensive line that they were lacking at the end of the year last year. Um uh, I, I do like to point out the, these teams have only played twice, and uh, the most recent one was the uh, extra untimed down kind of uh, 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 loss that wasn't actually a loss uh, for, for for Oklahoma State. So definitely um, want to put up some points, I think, for, for Oklahoma State. I'm interested to see how this defense looks on paper against uh, a modern offense. You know, Central Michigan was 25th in EPA per pass last season, and even with the wide receiver losses, I think that having Lou Nichols and having that kind of pressure off of the passing offense really helps them develop these downfield concepts. Um, Oklahoma State's defense, of course, was 18th in EPA per pass, though. So that'll be best on best. That's the matchup I'm most interested here. I don't have a play just because there is so much uncertainty on both sides of the ball um, for Oklahoma State. I'm just uh, I'll definitely be watching this, thinking about how I'm going to adjust them for the Big 12 play. I, I kind of like where you're going with that. There is a ton of uncertainty with it. It has bounced, again, from 19 up to 22, but it's been right around that three-touchdown mark. Uh, Kyle, we're going to move over to you on this. You know, does Central Michigan have the athletes to be able to compete here? It, it seems that Oklahoma State certainly has the advantage in the trenches, but, you know, when you start looking at 22 points, uh, you're looking at a total of 59.5. You know, Oklahoma State, the way that they've played – over the past however many years, a couple of years, uh, they've kind of changed up from that super fast pace. Uh, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, uh, Central Michigan won that last game, like Parker said, controversial to say the very least. I was wondering if Parker was going to mention it, and I figured he would. So he he hit on that one, which I think was a fantastic point. Now, you know, those guys are not here, but, you know, they've probably been reminded of something like that. I don't think that's a great betting angle in this one, but I think it is a pretty nice historical point. Certainly a fun matchup here, uh, Nichols and the running attack against Oklahoma state's front four, right? I mean, the uh, Oklahoma state running defense, the defensive line top three in the country. I mean, they're really good defensive line here for Oklahoma state. If you look at tackles for a loss last year, I think this is kind of an interesting one. Oklahoma state had 117 tackles for a loss last year, second in the country. That doesn't surprise anybody. Um, Central Michigan was actually sixth in the country with 105 tackles for a loss as well. I think both teams kind of get behind the chains too much in this game. Uh, If you look back to last year as well, Oklahoma State in their first two games last year, 5.4 yards per play against Missouri State. I know Spencer Sanders didn't play in that one, but uh, still, you know, it was Missouri State. 4.5 yards per play against Tulsa in week two. 
A Tulsa defense is pretty good, not that good. Took them a while to get going. Oklahoma State's worse at wide receiver this year than they were last year. Their offensive line is clearly worse than it was a year ago. And if you look at Central Michigan, uh, Pimpleton is a pretty big loss for them, in my opinion. And uh, breaking in two new offensive tackles against the Oklahoma State defensive line. I mean, this is not the team you want to break in new offensive tackles against. Uh, I think both offenses appear weaker this year than they were a year ago. I'm going to take the under in this one, uh, under 59.5 for me. I think Oklahoma State wins this one. Uh, as far as the spread, that's a lot of points to lay. Uh, you know, I hate laying that many points. I do want to make one note as well. You guys know I love to throw these in once in a while. Game one of the season totals of 56 or higher are 57.1% to the under since 2006. So if you've been betting unders with a total of 56 or higher, just blindly across the board, you've been making really good money. Now, I don't suggest just betting every single under, but keep that in mind when you're uh, factoring in uh, all the different factors into your handicap. So I'm going to take the under in this one, Central Michigan and Oklahoma State under 59 and a half. I like it. Yeah, 59 and a half did feel like quite a few points. Uh, and this one could get lopsided. You know, it, we do see in the chat, Mark Holmes, if Oklahoma State dominates the line like you think, it could get ugly. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. So we will make it official. Kyle likes the under 59 and a half. And I am all in. I, I like it. I like it. I, I'm not going to play it uh, because I'm staying away on this one. I do have some that I do like, but I do like where your head is on that one, Kyle. All right, we will move on. Another one on Thursday night, and we are going to talk about the backyard brawl. It's the first one since 2011. And West Virginia, a seven-and-a-half-point underdog on the road at Pitt. And this is uh, the new stadium name, Acrisure Stadium. It's no longer Heinz Field. It feels a little sacrilegious, honestly, but... Regardless, this one's at 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN, and the total sits at 51 on this. Now, the total opened at 55.5. It has come down 4.5 points. Pitt opened as a 6.5-point favorite. It has bounced here and there. It is finally rested at Pitt minus 7.5. West Virginia brings back 48% returning production. That's number 123 in the country, but they do have a new OC, and Graham Harrell, of course, comes over from USC. And he was, of course, at North Texas before that with Seth Luttrell. Runs a very fun, pass-happy offense. Uh, the new transfer quarterback, JT Daniels, comes over from Georgia. All five offensive linemen are back. You got the defensive tackle, Dante Stills. Uh, you got seven defensive transfers that are going to have to gel early. Uh, and Pitt, on the other side, loses the offense coordinator, Mark Whipple. Uh, they bring in Signetti as the new offense coordinator from Boston College. They do lose Kenny Pickett. They lose Jordan Addison. But nearly the entire offensive and defensive lines are back along with the secondary. You give Nard Dog that to work with, and he's going to feel pretty, pretty good about his chances. Uh, on this one, you know, I want to start off with you, Kyle. Uh, you know, Keaton Slovis, uh, the new wide receiver, Mumfield, coming over from Akron, et cetera. All offseason, we heard Narduzzi talk about how Whipple threw the ball too much, et cetera. How conservative do we think that Pittsburgh will be? Uh, give me your thoughts on the backyard brawl here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, crazy that we've heard so much negative about Whipple with how good they did last year. I mean, I, I think it sounds a little bit uh, petty. I mean, this is uh, Whipple's been bashed by two coaches now here in the last couple months, certainly. So uh, he's catching a lot of fire, uh, unfairly, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, this is a, a team that Signetti, I think he's going to want to run the football a lot. I think they're going to slow down their tempo drastically. Uh, I have in my notes that Pitt's a straight under team. 
But I also have in my notes that West Virginia is a team that I think could be an over team with Graham Harrell uh, speeding things up. So if it was still the 55 and a half, I probably would have played the under in this one. Guys, I've taken a lot of time looking at this game, trying to figure out what to do here. Uh, you know, I can't bet the total because, like I said, there's dueling. You know, I think West Virginia could be an over team. Pitt could be an under team. Uh, as far as the side, you know, Pitt's defensive line with 100, 100 sacks in the last two years, 2.7 yards per carry allowed last year. Uh, fantastic again this year. West Virginia brings in Harrell. Uh, Daniels, I, I think West Virginia is the bigger unknown of these two teams because I think we know what Pitt's going to be. They're going to run the football. They're really good on the line. Um, it would really help if West Virginia's wide receivers would, would stop dropping the football so much because that, that's been a major problem for them the last couple of years. I am concerned about the offensive line for West Virginia against the Pitt defensive line because, you know, this is one of those where people would say, well, they return all five starters. Yeah, but they weren't very good. You know, I mean, Letty Brown's a good running back, and he didn't have anywhere to go with those guys in front of him. I think the West Virginia defense, though, is good enough against the run that they can slow down Pitt fairly well here. Seven and a half is a lot of points. So uh, my lean is definitely with the seven and a half points with West Virginia. I think Harold's going to speed up West Virginia a decent amount. You know, I think both of these quarterbacks could be pretty good fits. I'm excited to see how this game goes. Uh, Jordan Addison is a massive loss, and everybody's going to talk about Pickett. And obviously, there's a drop-off uh, from Pickett because he was so good. But Addison helped this offense so much, stretching the field. I think he's a massive loss. The wide receivers go from, like, you know, top five in the country to mediocre. Uh, so I think that's a big drop-off there for them. I'm going to lean here with uh, West Virginia plus 7.5. And, and on the total, like I said, I just can't give a lean because uh, I like overs with West Virginia and unders with Pitt. I, I absolutely love West Virginia in this spot. Seven and a half. I get the hook there. Uh, this feels like one of those games. It's a huge rivalry game. And you know that Narduzzi, after throwing the ball around so much the last couple of years, he is going to revert back into his one possession games that he was so comfortable with for so long. That certainly feels the way that it would go, at least to me. Uh, which, by the way, West Virginia three and three against the spread as a dog last year. Pitt four and three against the spread as a home favorite last year. Uh, West Virginia won five of the last seven backyard brawls. Now, obviously, that was a different time, uh, dating all the way back to 2011 and earlier. Uh, Parker, you know, tell me tell me about West Virginia. I've kind of talked myself into them a little bit. Can Daniels and Harrell surprise Narduzzi at all? There's definitely been a lot of turnover for West Virginia um, uh, every year under Neil Brown, and I think some of that is productive churn. I think if we're being charitable, which I'm, I'm fine to be right now with with Neil Brown, is he really hasn't found the roster uh, construction that he's that he's best suited to use, and so has um, you know shaped it, molded it, and and had some productive churn to kind of build up that team in the way that he wants them to go. Um, one I have to highlight, this is the best of college football. We're getting a rivalry game Thursday night, week one of the season. I mean, that's just, that's incredible. And um, in an age of, you know, increasing uh, corporate uh, corporatization of college football to get something like this is just awesome. So as a football fan, super excited for this. Um, as, as a better, I think there's a lot of value on West Virginia here. I think that, like you said, given given the hook, I've even seen Pitt minus eight uh, as early as this morning in some places. Um, I really think that West Virginia's offensive potential just goes up that much higher with a quarterback who um, has a, has has demonstrated a little bit of uh, processing ability, might be able to make one or, uh, one or two reads, might not have to re uh, rest on 
uh, just, you know, throwing a heater downfield, which which uh, Daigie had to do last season, and, and that's correlated to a lot of the drops. So I think that West Virginia should should be able to score here. Um, Kyle, I'll actually push back a little bit and say I think that the offensive line did get better down the stretch. On average, absolutely not very good that season. But as all five were healthy and playing together, I think that Daigie got more and more time. And uh, I, I think that uh, especially given that with, with Daniels, you'll hope that pressure won't just completely collapse the offense. He'll be able to navigate it and find open secondary options and hit those checkdowns. I really think that their, their floor on offense is a lot higher than it's been last season. There was 77th in EPA per pass. I think that's going to change. I think they're going to be uh, at least at the very least an actual power five unit and the, in the sixties there on passing Um, on the flip side with Pitt, I think that there's two names that really come to mind for me. Uh, Jordan Addison, 25% of, targets gone, uh, just completely hollowed out the core of this offense. Uh, you look at the distribution of his targets. A lot of those were early in games too. So it wasn't like they were just putting up video game stats, kind of padding them. They were using him as the workhorse. Um, uh, you, you, you couple that with Whipple's gone and Brennan Marion, all three of those plus Kenny Pickett. Uh, that's, that's that, that, that quad, uh, that, that group of four there is just really, really hard to replace, especially given some of, um, Narduzzi's comments as well. I, I think that if we're talking about what uh, Slovis can be at Pitt, we really have to talk about Kenny Pickett's career, right? 2018, 18.6 QBR, 2019, 41, 2020, he had a 31, and then 2021, he was at 99.6 QBR. Kenny Pickett built over years, had a lot of experience, and then exploded out of nowhere. I'm inclined to believe a ton of that was design and having Addison there. So I don't necessarily know that Pitt's going to be able to replicate that offensive performance. On the defensive side, I think uh, Habakkuk Baldonado is an excellent name and a very good uh, edge rusher there and someone to watch. Uh, you know, he had 36 pressures last season and kind of led the team. This should feel a lot more like a Narduzzi team. I do believe they'll be a little slower. That total went a little too low for me. But given given um, where the total's at, given what I expect from both teams, I, I feel very comfortable at West Virginia and seven and a half here. Most certainly. Let's go ahead and make it official. Uh, Parker and I both like West Virginia to cover the seven and a half here, uh, which is, I mean, I would I would hope that we would get a one-score game down to the wire in the backyard brawl on the first Thursday night of the season. That's what I'm looking forward to. It's what I'm hoping for, honestly. All right, we will move on from there, and we've got another Thursday night game, which, by the way, Thursday night, kind of loaded. Kind of loaded. We got a Big Ten special here, Penn State. A three-and-a-half-point favorite at Purdue in West Lafayette at Ross Aid Stadium here. It's 8 p.m. Eastern time on Fox on Thursday night. Uh, total it sits at 53. It came down from 56-and-a-half. The spread opened as Penn State minus three. It has now jumped up to three-and-a-half. Uh, first meeting since 2019 here, and Penn State won that last one 35-7. Penn State 5-3 and three against the spread as a favorite last year. Purdue 3-3 three and three against the spread as a dog. Uh, this is a, a rough game, you would think, initially for Penn State and also for Purdue. If you're wanting to jump out and gain some momentum, this would certainly be the spot that you want to do it. Purdue runs uh, the quarterback, uh, Aiden O'Connell. Of course, uh, Parker absolutely loves him. We're going to let Parker start this off in a minute. But they lose the defensive coordinator, Brad Lambert, defensive end, George Karloftis, uh, the wide receivers, David Bell, and now, of course, Milton Wright uh, with eligibility issues. The offense averaged 33 points per game whenever David Bell hit 70-plus yards receiving, only 22 points per game without. So just something to toss out there. Penn State does get the uh, quarterback, Sean Clifford, back for his second year with the offense coordinator, Gersich, which I don't know if you guys saw this, but there's notes out there that – you know, Drew Alar, who is the new, you know, big-time freshman that came in, 
James Franklin said that he's going to be the backup, and it's a fluid situation. So we don't really know exactly what that means, but I would imagine that we are going to see a lot of Sean Clifford. Um, along with this, you got the wide or excuse me, the wide receiver transfer from Western Kentucky uh, Tinsley coming in to pair with Parker Washington. Uh, offense looks good. The new DC Manny Diaz likes to be aggressive sometimes. Talent-wise, the game looks lopsided. Since 2018, Purdue is 11 and 13 straight up at home. So exactly how scary is West Lafayette? I got a lot of questions here, Parker. Hopefully, you can answer some of this for me. What do you think about this ball game? Um, I, I think this is an interesting clash of styles. As you guys know, like last season, my, my or I, I, overall, my model really likes. Um, early downs passing. So it's always going to like Pitt's offense, or excuse me, Purdue's offense. Um, 23rd in EPA per pass last season, fifth in rush rate over expected. They 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 passed 16% more than the average team. Like that's just, that they, they really were going on it. They're committed to the air raid and they had that um, innovation from Jeff Brom too. So really like what they're able to do on offense. I do think there's going to be some learning curves here, uh, maybe some growing pains with all the wide receiver turnover. Um, you know, a lot of that air raid system is get to a spot, know the reads kind of have that timing down talk about the golden rep right you've got to you've got to practice it enough that you that you get to that golden rep with the wide receiver turnover especially with milton um lately being being uh, out as kind of a surprise that that really is going to limit the explosive ceiling on the flip side uh Purdue could not rush for anything. 129th in EPA per rush. They, they really didn't try to rush. They have nothing to fall back on if, if the if the short game isn't there for them to kind of consistently move the field. That's bad news for them because even as bad as Penn State was last season, their defense was 8th in EPA per pass, 47th in EPA per rush. Um, they allowed only 44.3% uh, echo rate for quality possessions. That's 19th in the nation, and they were third in, in preventing finishing drives at 2.58. So less than a field goal per quality possession. For Penn State's defense last season, um, the, the the offense here I think is um, a, a great example of where aggregate statistics can be a little confusing because 105th in EPA per play, 72nd in the pass, 125th in the rush. They had some offensive line issues. They had some running back play issues, and um, also Sean Clifford was hurt. This team started out, you know, what five and zero was up at uh, up at Iowa at the half. Clifford gets hurt. The offense has to change rhythm and just is not the same for the rest of the season. So, um, I expect with a healthy Clifford with uh, Milton coming in, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, not Milton Tinsley coming in from Western Kentucky, that this offense um, should be rearing to go with with your and with Diaz on the defensive side. You're kind of amassing smart football minds all in one room. There, there's a lot of potential, a lot of football knowledge between those two and 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 James Franklin. So I, I like Penn State to make a statement win here to say, hey, last season was kind of a um, Last season was kind of a fluke for us. The injury issues really dictated what we can do. But this year, we have a really high ceiling. I I, I like Penn State here to to cover. I I agree with you 100% here. Uh, a, a healthy Penn State is a scary proposition for a team like Purdue, I believe. A, later in the season, you see you know upsets like the Illinois game last year, etc., where there are certain holes in that Penn State roster as the season wears on. A, what we saw early last season before, of course, the quarterback injury was a top five ranked Penn State team headed to Iowa in control of that game until they lose the quarterback. Uh, you know, and this is a good, good football team. And yes, they do have to replace quite a bit on defense. And Manny Diaz coming in, it might take a little bit of time to gel. But again, uh, the roster situation here it heavily favors Penn State. And so I'm curious exactly what the home field advantage looks like. Kyle, going over to you on this, you know, a healthy Penn State here. How much is that worth? How much is, is the nighttime worth? 
what do you think about the total, et cetera? I, I want to know everything that you think about it, Kyle. Yeah, let's start with the total because it's very clear there's sharp money on the under here. Somebody really likes the under that's respected in this one. Uh, my number's right about where this number is right now, so I would have probably liked the under a little bit at the beginning. Um, this is another one of those where, Gary, I have a tough time with these games where one team I want to bet overs with, the other team I want to bet unders with. I think Purdue's an over team, Penn State's an under team. Um, so I, I don't really like uh, unders with Purdue. I, the Braum offense is very innovative. Even though they can't run the football, they can still score quite a few points. So always impressed with that. Uh, Penn State's secondary is excellent, and I think that's going to be underrated by quite a few people. As much as Aiden O'Connell is tremendous, this is a tough test for him as well because uh, you know Penn State's secondary is probably top five in the country, really good uh, secondary for sure. And Purdue threw the ball on 60.5% of their offensive plays in the Big Ten last year. I mean, that's really, really up there. So you're not going to see that very often outside of, you know, a Mike Leach coach team or something. But uh, I think this matchup points to it being a decent look for Penn State because of Purdue's reliance on the passing game. They, they really can't run. Uh, I don't think they'll be able to run this year. They were actually dead last in yards per carry last year. And, uh, you know, I don't expect them to be able to start running here. On the other side, Karloftis, a massive loss. Alexander, also underrated, really good player. The defense is, is down from a year ago at, at Purdue. And, and so, you know, I, I don't know why you'd want to bet Purdue uh, because Purdue is in a difficult spot here against a really talented team. Purdue has pulled off these upsets at home. Uh, you know, I watched Purdue beat Ohio State at Purdue a few years ago. Not a great experience uh, for me, but, uh, you know, this is a Purdue team that honestly, I think has enough weaknesses that Penn State can probably uh, exploit those weaknesses. Now, the big question is, can Penn State's offensive line be good enough? You know, because their offensive line has been so weak. Guys, there's no excuse this year because they're stacked in the backfield. They have some really good running backs. They've recruited very well there. They should be able to start running the football. So that's what I'm most interested in to see here. I'm not going to bet this game, but I'm going to be watching to see if Penn State can run the football. Oh, I'm betting all over this game because I I believe that they will be able to run the football, especially against that Purdue line. Uh, we'll go ahead and make this thing official. Uh, Parker and I both like Penn State to cover the three and a half here. Uh, I wanted to look up. I think that there's, I think there's a stat that tells you, and Kyle, maybe you can correct me. Uh, you are more likely to cover if you're favored by three and a half as opposed to two and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I, I seem to remember that somewhere. Regardless, that has nothing to do with this. I think Penn State is the significantly better football team, so I'm going to ride with Penn State on this one. Let me go ahead and remind everybody, make sure that you like the video. There are 200-plus people watching. There's like 52 likes on this thing, and there's a bunch of people that jumped in the chat that are telling all of you, go ahead and like the video. By the way, we appreciate you for doing that. Uh, so like the video for us. Make sure that you are, of course, subscribed to the podcast and the YouTube channel, both of them. And jump into the chat, which we have a ton of people, Scott and Robert and Mark and Emmett, etc. You guys are awesome. Continue tossing the questions in. We're going to do a Q&A at the end of the show. Also, don't forget, we're doing this again tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time. So go ahead and make sure that you have got yourself subscribed to the channel, that you hit the notification bell to let you know when we go live, etc. Gentlemen, we're going to move to Friday now. We're moving to Illinois at Indiana. Indiana, a three-point favorite. Now, it's uh, the juice, of course, here at 105 uh, with Indiana. 45.5 is the total. That's down from 48.5 at the opener. 
uh, this this spread sits in the exact same spot. It opened at three. It was bet up to five at one point. It's bet all the way back down to three now. It's at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington Friday night. It's an 8 p.m. Eastern time kick on FS1. It's the first meeting since a 24-14 Indiana win in 2017. Now, Illinois closed at 4-0 against the spread on the road in 2021. Along with that, Indiana 0-5 against the spread at home last year in their last five. I think they covered their first FCS game. Um, Indiana was really bad. I mean, I think that's the easiest way to put it. Kyle, I'm going to start off with you on this one because, you know, we talked quite a bit about Indiana and how they just continually underperformed the numbers. Uh, it was really rough, you know. And now looking on the other side, we did get to see Brett Bielema in the Illini last week. You know, they're coming off of a 38-6 to thrashing of Wyoming. The new quarterback, DeVito, looked pretty good and in somewhat of a game manager role last week. The running back, Chase Brown, again, he's an absolute stud. The offensive line, they got a little time to gel, and they just overmanned Wyoming's offensive line. Uh, you know, questionable on the defense because I don't think they had to do much last week. Indiana last year, of course, 2-10 and ten overall last season. They opened the season with a quarterback battle between Tuttle and Basilak, and I don't know whether that's good or bad that we have a battle. They return three offensive linemen. They bring in the running back Shivers out of Auburn. Uh, Allen, it looks like he's going to be more heavily involved in the play calling on defense Kyle, uh, this line terrifies me because I think Illinois is the better team. Give me your thoughts on this one. I want to start off here by saying you got one team with a game under their belt and one team that's playing their first game. It's always an interesting situation, and I'm going to give a quick uh, nod to Ralph Michaels, who posted this on Twitter today. Uh, since 2007, a CFB team playing their second game, playing against a team playing their first game, is 43.9% against the spread. So the team or the game under their belt has actually been a good fade. Uh, it, it's interesting because the theory from a lot of people usually is, well, you've already played a game, so you should be ready for the second game. But it turns out apparently it's good for the other team because they have film on you. That's that's what my assumption would be. Uh, having said that, this is also kind of a short week for Illinois because this game is a weeknight game. So uh, situationally, kind of a questionable spot for Illinois. Illinois was, what, plus five, plus four and a half for a good while. Now it's plus three. It's hard to love Illinois plus three when you know you could have gotten plus four and a half or plus five uh, for a long time. I don't want to bet Indiana. You guys know I don't want to bet Indiana. Um, You know, and Parker, uh, we had Illinois last week, and I I watched the first half of that game, and I was thinking Illinois should be ahead by so much more than what they are right now. And then, of course, you know, it it went great in the second half, but – Illinois honestly kind of screwed around for a half and was and still ended up winning like that, which probably says more about Wyoming than anything else. But uh, Chase Brown is tremendous. You know, I feel like I'm a Chase Brown, you know, hype train leader, but he is really a good running back. I think he's underrated by a lot of people. You know, DeVito did fine in the first game. He didn't really have to do that much. Uh, you know, I think Illinois is a bet on against bad run defenses in general. So it feels like I should be betting on them here, but uh, you know, this seems like a weird spot. Uh, Indiana's the question mark for me. Are they going to bounce back? You know, it's so weird to have a team that was so good against the spread two years ago and then go so bad last year. Uh, Indiana offensive line ranked 121st out of 130 in the country in offensive line yards last year. I think this is probably the worst offensive line in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, Basilak and Tuttle, whoever it is, they better be ready because they're going to get a lot of pressure here. <laughs> Uh, you know, basically every game, not just in this one. But uh, I would lean Illinois in this game. This total is awfully low. It is low for a reason. But, you know, with 
with a team in Indiana that is not a very good defense, it's hard for me to bet under 45 and a half or under 45 with one defense being weak. So I have to pass on that one. And my lean still is to Illinois plus the points. That that does make sense to me. Like I said, I think that Illinois is the better team. Short week. We don't know what we're getting out of this. And, of course, the stat that you mentioned there, uh, 44%, basically 439 whatever it was, uh, for teams that are playing their first game against teams that are playing their second game. It does scare me off of it, for sure. Parker, let me get your thoughts here. Uh, how much of a difference does Allen being more involved in the defensive play calling matter? Uh, I guess my, my other question here is, is Wyoming really that bad, or is Illinois actually pretty good? I think that's my other question as far as the line I go with uh, with Bielema and company. I've got so many questions about this game. So, Parker, give me your thoughts. Well, the answer is Wyoming is that bad. Um, I, it doesn't even matter how you frame that question. I mean, they, they don't have I, – I don't I don't want to pile on. Great respect for Craig Bull. They don't have a roster of, of – yeah. of a two-deep roster of FBS guys at the, at the G5 level. Like, I mean, it just – uh, they don't have a roster of G5 guys. And so um, I, I like Illinois here. The numbers say Illinois here. How many years in a row, guys, have we said, surely this Indiana offensive line can't be as bad as it was last year? Yeah. And it continues to get worse. I mean, are, is Bazelak or Tuttle, are either of them better than a healthy Penix that they've had the last couple of years? I, I really don't yeah. think so. And so I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel for the Indiana offense. That being said, I'm not willing to bet um, Illinois here because I, I have some questions about their offense. So almost 67% of their yards uh, through the air against Wyoming came after the carry, or excuse me, after the catch. And so for, for a, a power five offense playing a G5 defense that is hobbling and very, very thin, that really doesn't instill in me a lot of faith. I did like what um, Illinois was doing on offense. You know, they ran a little bit of counter. They ran some tunnel screens. They, they varied it up. They looked like they were running a competent game plan. And there's something to be said for that. But they struggled. I, Kyle, at one point we were texting about is, is are we going to sweat this in the second half uh, for, for Illinois against Wyoming? And then the depth factor kicked in. And so what Illinois basically did last week uh, was play really well on the first drive and then rack up a bunch of yards when Wyoming was super tired and super thin and didn't have a lot of depth to spell them. So um, makes me a little bit nervous. Good things I did like about Illinois. Uh, DeVito was uh, kept clean on 84% of his dropbacks. Um, he he attempted a pass on all 37 of his dropbacks. So even when he was pressured, was able to get the ball out and, and get that away or, or or try and find a check down. He did only attempt six passes greater than 10 yards down the field, uh, completed uh, only two of those. So I don't know how I feel about the downfield offense. And uh, I think that we'll still see maybe maybe they were trying to not put something on film. Maybe they were trying to just do as little as possible and, you know, keep everybody healthy and 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 win against the team they knew they should beat. But um, good for them for 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 taking advantage of a, of a bad roster situation. Um, I just still, you know, just have some questions about this offense because the competition last week was so bad. And there are, you know, the the, the downfield offense really wasn't developed at any point in the game. I, I will tell you this, uh, DeVito, when I said that he was good last week in that game manager role, basically what I'm saying is he didn't make a ton of mistakes. And you saw a lot of that in Syracuse, uh, especially during the, the 2020 season, where it was just a free-for-all. Uh, people getting into the backfield, et cetera, and he would throw the ball away and he'd get picked, et cetera. So he, it, he at least didn't make the killer mistake, right? I think that's the biggest thing. So I had some people jumping on me in the chat for that, but... DeVito looked okay. He looked good. Can, yeah, can go I just put, can I just be a stats nerd about that for a second? Um, it's because they're not asking it. Like, like 
it was like Dylan Gabriel and what was that 2018, 2019, where he went, you know, had no turnover worthy plays and everyone said it over and over again. It's like, yeah, dude, because he's throwing like he's throwing it to the open guy or he's taking off like he's not asked to make any kind of difficult throw or read. And so if you're, if you're talking about quarterback quality, no, like very, very low turnover worthy plays or mistakes might be actually a negative on their absolute quality. But it is a big boon to the offensive coordinator who is saying, hey, I know what my quarterback is. Um, Seth Galina at PFF coined the phrase BS offenses. And hey, you might be able to thrive if you can run a BS offense with Tommy DeVito and not put him in a bad situation. So as you're watching and evaluating him, I think what they ask him to do is equally as important as, you know, what does he make the mistake or is he in the position to make mistakes because he has that positive upside? If that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. I think the best coaches are the ones that put their players in a position to be successful. Don't ask him to do anything that he can't do and he might surprise you. Simple enough. Uh, so no picks on this one. Just a lot of question marks. And, but we'll be watching this one on Friday night for sure. That moves us into the Saturday slate. Oh, and I'm so excited about this. It is an in-state rivalry. I don't know how competitive it's going to be, but we are certainly going to be watching it. Saturday, September 3rd, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. NC State, an 11.5-point favorite on the road at East Carolina. The total sits at 51.5 now, which is Bananas. Or at 52 on the screen, I think it's been moving quite a bit. I mean, we saw it move four points uh, within about five minutes earlier. So it's it's been pretty crazy. Uh, this is in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, of course, in Greenville, North Carolina. These two teams met in 2018 and 2019. NC State won both of them by a combined 92-9 to score. A just complete and utter beatdown. I don't think it'll be quite that nasty this go-round. Regardless, NC State 2-2 two and two against the spread as a road favorite in 2021. ECU 1-2 against the spread as a home dog last year. NC State and Dave Doran, uh, they've got an absolutely stacked defense here to go with You know the NFL-hyped quarterback Devin Leary, an experienced offensive line, and uh, some playmakers on, on both sides of the ball here. East Carolina does return the quarterback, Holton Ehlers. I'm hoping I say that right. It allures. It, who knows what it is, but you guys can correct me in the comments, of course. Uh, the running backs, Mitchell and Harris, come back. They got three starting offensive linemen back. But Coach Houston's defense, while returning 70%, is not overly talented. I will say that. Uh, they're number 99 roster strength, uh, according to the guys over at CFB Winning Edge there. On the surface, this looks like a fun in-state game, but the roster difference here could make this one a little lopsided. Parker, I want to start off with you on it. You know, how much is home field advantage worth for East Carolina? And is there a chance maybe that we are underestimating what East Carolina can do here? I, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think about the uh, College World Series and how the Eastern Carolina fans turned out. And I have no idea that or no no doubt they'll be equally as rabid um, college football. I don't know that that translates as much, especially when you have just such overwhelming talent uh, disparities at at every position here. I like Allers. I think that on offense, they were 71st in success rate last season, 58th in the pass, 83rd in the rush. So um, a little bit more consistency in that pass, 55th in EPA per, per pass. So um, weren't really making those huge mistakes, those catastrophic mistakes on on offense, uh, that run game is really not good. I don't think that's going to be any better against NC State here. Um, NC State was 21st against the pass last season in EPA, 
25th against the rush, eight in quality uh, opportunity and, and echo rate. So really good defense. I do wonder if they've hit their ceiling. You know, they return a lot of production, but how much more of a step is there to take? And I wonder if any variance for this NC State defense this year is going to be negative because they have been so good. On the flip side, the offense, look, talk all about Devin Leary you want, and, and there's something to be said for experience, but this offense was 94th in success rate. They were 85th in passing success rate last season. Um, was not consi- were not consistent at all. They were 49th in EPA per pass. So they were able to hit the big play. But for me to get excited about NC State, I've got to see them move the ball consistently. Um, I think a, a really easy trap for betters in this game would be to watch NC State win this game and cover and do it by getting four or five big plays and not moving the ball otherwise, and then think, oh, okay, I'm going I'm to invest in this offense. That's something I'm looking for. Are they moving the ball sustainably? Are they are they breaking off these big plays? So um, I, I have this right about the Vegas line. You know, I try and do those 95% confidence intervals. And if you're in that, if you're if you're inside that 95% confidence interval with a line, I can't bet it. So um, this one's a little too close for me. I do. I really am, am curious about can NC State move the ball consistently when they should against a really bad team. Not a really I'm, bad team. I like the Pirates. Really bad was too mean against a, a lesser talented team. There you go. A lesser, a lesser roster strength team. We'll we'll call it that. Uh, I'm I'm with you on this. There's a lot of questions. I don't necessarily like any part of this. Uh, you know, it is going to be fun to watch. Kyle, how about you? East Carolina. You know, they have the capability here and there to maybe surprise some teams. And I love what Mike Houston did at James Madison. Uh, but since he's gotten to East Carolina, it's been a slow build, and and I continue that to, or I I expect that to continue here. I'm just I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, I think that this defense for NC State is really really good. I don't really know how East Carolina scores in this game, other than maybe a few big plays here and there. But as Parker said, NC State may have to rely on big plays as well. What what do you think about this one? Yeah, first, I think Parker did a great job breaking down a lot of the stats in this game. Uh, fantastic breakdown. The other thing is, I'm a little bit depressed when I'm sitting here seeing in my notes that I made late last night. Most of you probably know I'm a, I'm a night owl. My play here was under 55, and obviously it got steamed this morning, which which sucks. But I'm still going to stick with the under 52. Um, the first thing I want to say is I think that this game will tell us a lot about both teams. Because NC State has great potential, and they've been hyped in a big way, certainly. Uh, the Holiday Bowl fiasco from last year, I mean, that was uh, that was pretty sad. And I know this team's motivated uh, coming into this season. But if they're going to do something special this season, they ought to blow out East Carolina. Because this should not be a close game. Uh, you know, Greenville is kind of a sneaky, tough place to play, in my opinion. And uh, Doran's teams have kind of fallen into this kind of trap before. So are they going to do that here or not? I think... This game tells us a lot about what NC State can be throughout the course of the season. Although, like Parker said, you know, are they moving the ball chunks at a time or is it just going to be one explosive play? I think that is an important point. Uh, Holt Naylor's is a bit of an enigma to me. I mean, what is he going to be? He could throw for 400 and some yards and four touchdowns one game and get picked three or four times the next game and barely get anything going. Uh, East Carolina's wide receivers are really a big weakness um, and experience, certainly. I think Houston wants to slow the pace down in this game. I think he should want to slow the pace down. If I were him, I would uh, try to run the football. I don't know that they'll have any success, to be honest. NC State lost both Knight and Person from the backfield. So I don't really think the NC State offense is better than last year. They also lost uh, Conwell on the offensive line, obviously. So uh, the, the big thing about NC State is their defense is tremendous. I don't think it, uh, NC State's defense 
Uh, most people don't realize how good the, the defense is going to be. Uh, Peyton Wilson back from an injury. Wilson's a really good player. Uh, the linebackers there. I, I was looking at this and I thought, you know, who has better linebackers than NC State? I guess Bama has better linebackers than NC State, but that's just kind of cheating because Will Anderson's that good. But but uh, <laughs> well, it, you know, it depends on the question, right? Is it uh, who has better pass rushers or right. is it who just has better linebacker play? And I think NC State might be it. Yeah, I mean, it, I agree. Uh, NC State is absolutely stacked a linebacker, and then their secondary is tremendous as well. Experienced defense, really, really good. I don't see East Carolina scoring very many points in this game. I'm going to take the under. I wish it was still at 55, but I'm going to take under 52. I think East Carolina's um, maximum number of points here is, is a pretty low number, and NC State does not play at a very fast tempo. So I'm going to take under 52 for this game. That makes it official on that one. Under 52 for Kyle. I'm going to stay away from it, but I will guarantee you that I will be watching this ballgame. Let's move on over to a a fun G5 matchup here. Houston as a four-point favorite on the road at UT San Antonio, UTSA. The Roadrunners meet meep. The total sits at 62, and this one opened as Houston uh, minus 6.5 with a total of 58. So the total has been bet up. The spread has been bet down. They last met in 2014. This one, of course, in the Alamo Dome. Uh, UTSA won that game in 2014, 27 to seven. And I was a fired up program. They had just started uh, their their FBS program here at UTSA. Houston three and two against the spread as a road favorite last year. UTSA four and zero against the spread as a dog in 2021. Ha! The senior quarterbacks under Dana Holgerson. I've said it multiple times. I will say it again. They have huge years, so you got to look out for the quarterback Clayton Toon. You got to look out for the wide receiver Tank Dell as well. Defense only returns 56% production, but they do have the defensive end Parrish. They do have the safety Owens as well, uh, and they return Belk, the defensive coordinator. So you know, good things I would imagine. UTSA overachieved last year. Jeff Trailer uh, has taught them how to win. I mean, they just expect to go out and win every ball game, regardless of who they're playing now. They're number 24 in returning production. Uh, along with that, you got quarterback Frank Harris uh, that has a ton of playmakers around him, a strong offensive line, and the defense has a bunch of studs on it. Um, you know, we'll start off with you on this one, Kyle. Is is Houston's talent overwhelming in this situation? Uh, you know, it's number 30 to number 56 as far as roster strength is concerned. But, you know, we've got questions around Houston's running game. Uh, UTSA at home, going to play playing with a, a ton of pride in San Antonio. I, I'm curious your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, UTSA has a great home field advantage. I mean, there's no doubting that. They've shown that for the last few seasons. And I, I, Trailer's a really good coach. He's done a great job with this program. They lose Sincere McCormick. Um, really, Harris was their best player on offense last year. But you could argue that McCormick really helped that because teams were were playing the run. Uh, so we'll see how that that affects this. But I do think UTSA will move the ball through the air in this game. Uh, you know, they have really good wide receivers, probably top 25 group of wide receivers in the country. Um, they play very quick. UTSA will try to keep the pace moving. On the other side, Clayton Toon is underrated for, for Houston, definitely. I mean, you know, he is maybe he's a system quarterback. I don't know. I, I, that's kind of a, a keyword some people say. And it's it's somewhat of a no-no, but... I mean, Holgerson does have a really good offensive system. Tank Be- Tank Dell is a beast on the outside, and Clayton Toon makes good decisions. I mean, you know, so uh, I don't see how any way 
anybody from the UTSA defense is going to be able to stop Tank Dell in this game. It's going to surprise me if they even slow him down at all. Uh, UTSA lost a lot on defense, and their biggest concern is cornerback. It's not really a good thing going into a game like this. Houston's front seven on defense is elite. Um, their top two corners gone from last year as well. Initially, I wanted to bet the over in this game, but this over has been steamed up quite a bit from where it was you know, a couple months ago when these lines were out. So I'm going to pass on that. Uh, this game does mean a lot to UTSA. I think you could probably argue that you know, they would see themselves as kind of little brother, you know, big, bigger name team in the state. Uh, Houston's the better team, more talent. Uh, with the line move being what it is, I, I will say I'm kind of surprised this line has come down so much. So with the line where it is right now, I would lean Houston. That does make sense. Uh, like you said, though, they, they play well at home. Uh, they're going to be fired up for this one. Uh, they are the team that basically took Houston's spot in the AAC uh, after Houston, of course, will now be moving to the Big 12. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a fun matchup to see exactly where these two stack up. This one's on CBS Sports Network, by the way, at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time Saturday. Parker, uh, looking at this, you know, I I feel like you might know a little bit about Texas football, maybe. But but give me give me some thoughts here on the Cougars and the Meat Meeps. Yeah, like like you guys have both mentioned, some odd parallels between these teams. For instance, I, I did not think that either Jeff Jeff Trailer or um, Doug Belk were going to be at their same schools. I thought both of them would move up, and the right opportunity just wasn't there, and they're back, and that's great for both of those schools. Um, UTSA was kind of at the top of the development cycle last year. Their their passing defense specifically terrifies me in this game. Last season, they were 87th in uh, EPA per pass. They were um, 38th in echo rate, but 100th in points per echo, so they are susceptible to the big play. Uh, Rashad Wisdom back there is a really talented guy, might be an NFL guy, but I don't know if they have enough to not only cover uh, Tank Dell over there at wide receiver, but also Matthew Goldman, the fresh, uh, uh, excuse me, Golden, the freshman has been has been turning heads in camp too. If you have a credible second option, that, that, that really, really frees up the offense. One kind of uh, statistical artifact about Houston I really like, I love when my numbers kind of do this. Houston's offense is just, they're just chucking it, man. They, they want to get the ball downfield as often as they can, give their big receivers opportunities to make plays. So 37th in, in rush rate over expected, they're, they're, they're really moving the ball a lot. Uh, they are 79th in first down percent of first downs on early downs. They're 92nd in early downs EPA, but they're 26th in third and fourth down success. So they are just going to keep throwing it. They're going to keep attacking you. It's relentless. I really think that they could get ahead of steam on, on a UTSA team that looked a little sluggish last season in certain spots. Um, on the flip side, on offense, I love Frank Harris. I think he was a lot more efficient than he gets credit for, 15th in EPA per pass. That being said, Houston's defense was really, really good, uh, 10th against the pass, 12th against the rush. I attribute a lot of that to talent, but especially at the G5 level, a lot of that is um, scheme and, and Belk being there. So I think this will be a really good Houston defense again. I don't know that UTSA can score to keep up with Houston. Um, I, I will judge the home field advantage based on how loud the TV broadcast is. If you guys watched the Alamo Dome <laughs> last year, sometimes I just had a muted man it was it was wild in there um and uh and so a lot, a lot of fun great story from utsa last year if they if they take a, a stumble this year as they're kind of reloading no one should discount that but here at the beginning of the season i think we'll see is houston a really good g5 team or are they a national contender i think they can send that message right now at the very beginning of the season here i like them to cover i like tunes experience and the weapons they have at wide receiver between dell and golden Let's go ahead and make it official. Parker is going to ride with the Houston Cougars to cover the four right there. Reminder, 
like the video. We do have over 100 likes on the video right now. We appreciate you guys for doing that. Uh, so go ahead and continue pressing if you have not already. Make sure that you subscribe to the channel. Hit that notification bell so that you know when we go live. And again, we will be live every Tuesday and Wednesday. So that means tomorrow as well. We got more games to discuss because, again, it is a loaded slate this weekend and basically every weekend. Uh, make sure that you jump into the chat for the Q&A. Of course, we've got a couple more games that we're going to hit right here. Um, but, yes, make sure that you are also subscribed to the podcast, the BetUS Football Show. That's the NFL feed and the college football feed right there all in one spot. Gentlemen, let's move over. We have got a playoff contender versus an SEC team. Uh, maybe not a contender, a team that made the playoff last year. How's that? Cincinnati is a six-and-a-half-point dog on the road at Reynolds-Razorback Stadium against Arkansas. The total sits at 52. That is down from 54, and the spread was actually seven-and-a-half at opening, and it has come down to six-and-a-half now. Arkansas 6-0 and against the spread their last six in September. They are 4-1 and against the spread their last five against non-conference opponents. Cincinnati. One and four against the spread in their last five road games, but they are eight and three in their last 11 non-conference games. Uh, Arkansas's offense coordinator, Kendall Bryles, has a second-year quarterback for the first time ever in K.J. Jefferson, which is uh, a scary proposition, I will say that. The rushing attack should be brutal again. They were number seven in the country in rushing last year. Uh, talented defense is full of transfers, so that is going to be interesting for Barry Odom, the defense coordinator there, and everybody at this point, should love Sam Pittman. If you don't, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Cincinnati did lose nine NFL draft picks, but uh, the question here will be how does Luke Fickle reload? All five starting offensive linemen are back for him, but the Bearcats are number 104 in returning production. They have got the number 48 roster strength in the country. Arkansas is a top 20 roster. Uh, can the defensive line for Cincinnati slow down what Arkansas is doing uh, last year? Cincinnati, just to give you an example, Parker, we're going to start off with you on this. Cincinnati's run defense averaged 3.33 yards per carry given up, but Alabama had 301 yards and 6.4 yards per carry in the playoff game, and that was a bad Bama run game, just bottom line. Arkansas, like I mentioned, was number seven in the country in uh, rushing offense. This could be a yikes situation, or maybe Cincinnati has recruited well enough to just kind of reload. Parker, uh, give me your thoughts on what's going to happen in Fayetteville on Saturday. So since I, I say top of the development cycle all the time, Cincinnati last season for the, for the G five teams, it matters, right? Where your talent is in terms of experience matters so much for these G five teams. Cincinnati is at the bottom of the development cycle. That doesn't mean the guys on their roster aren't good. That doesn't mean they can't be competitive, but um, man, that, that it's, it's going to be rough. They lose just these linchpins on defense between um, cook and Gardner and, and my Sanders, Kobe Bryant, like they just so many guys that were just absolute household names last season. Really, really good. Um, seventh in EPA per rush, but you saw exactly Alabama who had a bad run game last season, who could not rush consistently against teams throughout the season lined up and just walked over Cincinnati, just absolutely on display. Now, is that an indictment of the entire sec versus the entirety of G five? No. Is that an indictment of 
Alabama versus the best of the G5? Absolutely. And so calibrating, understanding kind of where these teams are, I, I get that. Um, our, Arkansas played toe-to-toe with a lot of people last season. Uh, 22nd EPA per, EPA margin on offense, actually a little more explosive on the uh, on the pass than they were the, the rush, 30th in EPA compared to 51st. Um, one thing to look at that I think will really depend, um, you know, if we're talking about coaching and, and scheme, Arkansas was 95th on offense in third downs last season, really did not convert third and fourth downs well at all. And Cincinnati was 27th on defense and preventing that. So that matchup there, I think, will be the key to this game. Um, One thing about Arkansas and their defense, they lose defensive back quarter, uh, defensive back coach Sam Carter, Um, not just shutting him out because he played at TCU, but because he's a really great defensive back coordinator. He he went over to um, Ole Miss and kind of switched teams this year. That, That could be a big loss for a team that is turning over some production on defense. I think Arkansas should win. I have this by, by a little bit closer than that six. My confidence intervals are a little wide just because Cincinnati, top of the development cycle, turning over a ton of talent. I have no doubt their roster is um, talented. I have no doubt they'll play a disciplined style of football. I just don't know if they have the experience, especially up front, to deal with anything that Arkansas is going to throw at them. I I tend to agree with you. I do tend to agree with you a lot on this. I, I don't think we have any picks on this one, but I think it's going to be a just a whole lot of fun to figure out exactly what these teams are uh, this next year, right? Sam Pittman, of course, last year, it was a reawakening for Arkansas and Cincinnati as well, you know, gets to the playoff. They were, as you said, the top of the development cycle. I like it. Uh, I might just steal that for myself, but yeah, no picks on this because we just want to see what exactly happens here uh, and maybe use that to bet on these teams as we further along. We got one more game to discuss and this one, whew, uh, this is this is not exactly uh, a great game to watch, I don't think, <laughs> but but it might be of value for sure. Uh, Kyle, we're going to start with you on it, but uh, let me get through the rundown here. Tulsa, a six and a half point favorite. This opened at Tulsa as a one point favorite on the road at Wyoming. The total sits at 44. It opened at 46 and a half. It is down two and a half points. It's at War Memorial Stadium in Laramie, Wyoming. Tulsa, we're getting you. Kyle, I know you like to do this. Their last 51 road games. Tulsa is 35 and 16 against the spread. They are 5 and 0 against the spread in their last five games overall from last season. Uh, but they do lose quite a bit here. You know, they do. Uh, they lose their defense coordinator Joe Gillespie. They're number 108 in returning production. They do get back the quarterback Davis Brin, wide receivers Stokes and Santana. The offensive line looks big. Uh, which should certainly help against an undersized line for Wyoming. Uh, with the Cowboys here, 8-18-1 against the spread in their last 27 games in September. They do not start off seasons well. Uh, they tend to develop the further along that they get. And Wyoming coming off of a 38-6 beatdown at Illinois last week. And as Parker mentioned, this roster looks bad. Uh, the quarterback, Andrew Peasley, was 5 of 20 passing. The running back, Titus Swin, uh, looked good but it has a rib injury, so we're not sure exactly what's going on here. Uh, the defense is just not great for Wyoming right now. I, you know, was Illinois that good or was Wyoming that bad? We had that same question with Illinois and Indiana earlier. If it's the latter, Tulsa's returning production may not matter here so long as Davis Brin doesn't give the ball away like he did in game one against the FCS opponent last year. Uh, Kyle, let's let's start with you on this. You know, the total really, really low here. But, you know, 10-mile-per-hour wins in Laramie expected. You know, what what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's always windy in Laramie. Like, if you look at the weather <laughs> forecast, it's always pretty breezy there. But uh, I want to bet Tulsa here. 
I'm just going to tell you, there's a couple things keeping me off. Tulsa minus one and a half was available a week ago, and now it's minus six and a half. Now, I almost played Tulsa minus one and a half last week, kind of kicking myself that I didn't because that would have been kind of a double play, obviously, against Wyoming. I hate losing that much line value. There's a lot of key numbers that <laughs> just blew right through. Uh, I think that's really tough to take uh, in that kind of situation. You know, minus one and a half to minus six and a half. And I just like value on a number so much that I just can't bring myself to do it. Second, Craig Bowl is a really good coach. I do respect him a lot. His team just got absolutely embarrassed last game. Uh, I think he'll try his best to circle the wagons. Uh, you know, if I don't know if they're actually uh, capable. I don't know if they're talented enough to actually circle the wagons. But they're going to try. Uh, I definitely want to bet Tulsa, and I lean that way. Uh, just because I'm so low on Wyoming, uh, you know, Peasley looked really bad against Illinois. The Illinois secondary is good, but the Illinois secondary is not that good. You know, they're not so good that he shouldn't have been able to do anything. Uh, and there's no Chad Mumon to bail, bail them out on defense anymore either. Now, as far as Tulsa, Davis Brin needs to cut down on those mistakes that you were alluding to there. 5.2% turnover worthy plays. On the other hand, you know, Brin does take a lot of chances. 11.5 ADOT. So he throws a lot of deep balls. And I think something that some people will miss is Keelan Stokes. Keelan Stokes was out last year. Uh, the superstar wide receiver, really good receiver for Tulsa, missed the year to uh, injury, and now he's back. I think that really helps the Tulsa offense a lot, especially since Bren likes to throw it deep so much. Tulsa defensive line losing Jackson player is a massive loss. Are they good enough to stop the run of Wyoming? I think that's the key to this handicap because I don't think Wyoming can throw the ball uh, against a good uh, Tulsa secondary in general. So uh, I, I think this is a game that I would have to bet Tulsa if I bet it. Uh, it's a total that's hard to bet because, you know, it's such a low number. Uh, you know, we saw Wyoming give up a huge number to Illinois. I don't think Illinois is like, you know, exactly an explosive offense. So, yeah, I think that the total has to be a pass. I don't want to bet overs with Wyoming. And then I still I still lean toward uh, Tulsa. But like I said, Gary, it's just tough for me to take six and a half when I could have gotten one and a half. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way here. I initially, I mean, I'll go ahead and be transparent here. I bet this when it was at three and a half on Saturday afternoon. Uh, so, <laughs> so I thought that I was going to use it on the show. And this thing just skyrocketed up to six. And then, of course, has moved up to six and a half now by Tuesday. So... You know, I I still kind of like it at six and a half here. Um, hey, we got Parker back. Okay, uh, Parker. I, you know, I know that you like this one here. That Wyoming situation. I guess that's the maybe the easiest way to put it. Uh, which, hey, and by the way, Kyle, uh, be prepping because I realized I skipped you on the Cincinnati Arkansas game. So we're gonna hit that in the Q and A so that I can get your opinions on this one. I got a lot of screens going on here. Uh, but Parker, I know that you've got a pick on this one. Uh, give me your thoughts on Tulsa at Wyoming. Yeah, I, I honestly don't have uh, t- very, very much to say here. I think this one's pretty obvious here of just, um, I would take this, I mean, under a touchdown. I, I, I had it at six. I bet it earlier too. I've uh, any, anything under that seven and a half. I, I love here. This is entirely an argument 
uh, on Wyoming just falling apart last week. Seeing what they're doing, I'm just fading Wyoming right here. I think that uh, Brand with some experience can limit those plays. Um, and the defense last season was really good against the pass and it kind of limiting those quality possessions, 21st in, in echo rate for Tulsa there. Um, not not very high on Wyoming, especially early on as they're figuring out their identity as they're still banged up. Uh, I know two of their defensive ends are, are going to be out uh, most of the season uh, or at least the early part of the season uh, betting against Wyoming here. That totally makes sense. Let's go ahead and make it official. Uh, that would be Tulsa to cover six and a half on the road at War Memorial Stadium. I know it's going to be windy in Laramie. But regardless, Tulsa should still be able to score enough to uh, to handle that. Uh, just a, a roster that needs to be developed. We'll say that. All right, gentlemen, let's move into the Q&A. And the first question that I have here is, Kyle, what are your thoughts on Cincinnati and Arkansas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's 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 a nice first question. Now, I, I mean, uh, I think I, I did want to give give some thoughts on this game just because uh, you know, I saw several people in the chat saying, oh, Kyle's wearing a Cincy hat. He must be taking Cincy. Now, I, I wore a Cincy hat because they're probably my second favorite team behind Ohio State. And if we're talking about a, a team that uh, I have a hat, then I, I feel like I should wear that one. But um, I initially thought when I looked at this game that I'd want to take the seven or seven and a half with Cincinnati. And as I started breaking this game down more and more, I'm like, I, I don't know if Cincinnati can stop Arkansas from running the football, uh, you know. And I guess Gary's a good person to ask this question, but I think it's fair to say Arkansas's offensive line this year uh, probably better than Alabama's offensive line from last year, right? Uh, most certainly. Most yeah. certainly. Now, the, the, the caveat there is that, you know, they don't have Bryce Young and they don't have these amazing wide receivers, so they don't have that threat out there. But I don't know. Uh, last year, I think Cincinnati knew the run was coming against Alabama and couldn't do anything about it, you know, later in the game. It was just over and over again. So am I really confident that they can stop the run here? I'm really not. Uh, KJ Jefferson uh, is questionable as a passer, uh, especially without Burks. That's a massive loss. Uh, Bumper pool on the all-name team from the Arkansas defense, a great leader, certainly. Drew Sanders, uh, nice transfer in as well. Uh, I think the secondary is still pretty good. Catalan's a good uh, safety you know, like I said, I think uh, Alabama's offensive line showed the way to have success against Cincinnati. There's not teams in the AAC with the offensive line like Arkansas. Uh, I think we're going to see if Cincinnati can stop the run here. Uh, this this thing under a touchdown, I, I think I would lean to to Arkansas in this game. Uh, the total is right at what I would put it. So no lean on that one. But uh, Cincinnati lost so much. You, you hear people say, well, uh, Fickle's a good coach. They've recruited well, but you can't lose that many really good players at Cincinnati and not get some worse. You know, this is not Georgia or Alabama. Uh, I think Cincinnati has to dip a little bit. Gino Gaduli, the new offensive coordinator, I think they run the same type of offense. But, uh, you know, Ben Bryant transfers out and comes back and, you know, has a quarterback competition. I think that's a little bit strange. But, you know, here in this one, I just think the matchup sets up that I would have to take Arkansas if I had a lean here. I, I tend to agree with you on that. Uh, a lot of Cincinnati fans that believe that Evan Prater is going to be the guy. Uh, but we'll see. We will see about that one. Uh, yes, as, as Parker said, the top of the development cycle. I love that. I'm, I'm totally taking that, Parker. I love it. Love it. All right. Uh, more questions here. Let's go ahead and start off this Q&A. Stephen Penland, in what week of the season will you start adjusting your power ratings? Uh, well, they've already kind of started because I have Vanderbilt significantly higher than I did before. Um, you know, it, it, just different things here and there. Parker, what about you? As far as the advanced stat stuff, uh, 
how does it work on a, I, I think you talked about this on split zone duo, but go ahead and tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every um, yeah. If you want to get nerdy about that split zone duo, yesterday I was on it for like an hour talking about nerd stuff, and and so I'll be short here. Every model has to have a starting point, right? And so, um, it, you know, if if you don't have a starting point, if you have no preseason priors, then you're saying every team is the same, which is not true. So you have to come into the season with some priors. But I mean, you you have such a small sample size, you've got to start incorporating data from season one. So um, I, I bumped up Vanderbilt a little bit. I bumped down Hawaii's defense. I bumped uh, Florida Atlantic. Every week I'm pulling in the data. And kind of reevaluating and, and and applying the models, so um, it, it changes immediately. Of course, I'm going to start phasing out those preseason projections as teams tell us who they are this season. Um, but I mean, every every down matters, and you you know, in a game of limited information, all meaningful information you should you should be able to keep. So um, I, I'm changing things weekly, but again, incrementally, right? If it's some extreme result, I'm asking, hey, do, does this actually reflect the team's quality or? Uh, you know, I'm not, I didn't bump Vanderbilt up 63 points because they scored 63 yeah. points. Yeah. <laughs> kind of the same thing with Illinois, right? If they're playing a really bad roster, uh, it's not going to change a ton, right? Uh, yeah. Kyle, what about you as far as power ratings go? How do you feel about, you know, is it a weekly thing? Is it something that you wait until like week three or four? I mean, how how do you go about it? Yeah, you have to update them weekly. And I think uh, the thing that I want to point out is that you really want to update them also based on the market's line movement because the market is efficient long term. So remember last week, Illinois was minus 10 when we did the video and then they were minus 14. I think there were even some 14 and a half. That in itself would tell you that you probably either either have to adjust Wyoming down or Illinois up unless your line was closer to Illinois minus 14 or 15 or something like that. Uh, so you you don't want to only pay attention to the results of the game. You also want to pay attention to what the market did, uh, because the market in in the long term, uh, the odds makers know what they're doing, and the marketplace is pretty efficient. Uh, but you have to adjust after one or two weeks. Uh, you just don't want to over adjust, you know, because if you've spent a lot of time in the off season prepping, and all at once you say, "Well, Vanderbilt just scored 63 points. I have to <laughs> upgrade them in a huge way." you're probably going to get pretty disappointed with Vanderbilt and some of the games coming oh, yes. up. But but uh, so just don't over adjust. But uh, like I said, I think uh, you, you want to pay attention to what the market does quite a bit. Oh, most certainly. Yeah. Maybe maybe don't move Vanderbilt up that much. How about you move Hawaii back quite a bit? That that might be the, the smarter move there. Uh, moving along, Brickfields asked, would uh, like to hear thoughts on numbers crossing key numbers. Uh, moving past most important number of all in 55, now 53 and 52. Uh, Vegas usually isn't that far off, and those numbers matter. Uh, Kyle, you are going to know a lot about these you know, key totals. Uh, give me your thoughts on this one. Well, uh, you know, this is kind of a multi-parted answer, but, you know, first... Uh, key numbers for totals are not like key numbers for, you know, NFL, you know, you get minus three or minus seven or something like that. It's going to hit so commonly that you really want to be on that number. A key number for a total is not nearly as key as it is for, uh, you know, a side, especially uh, in the NFL where the games are closer. But having said that, you know, 55 is a really key number. Uh, like I said, that's why I hated to see that line move for for East Carolina. Uh, 52 is also a key number, so pay attention to that one. And you think of all the ways that a game could get to 52 points. Um, you know, having said that, with uh, college football betting when it comes to totals, there are so many point spreads that could happen. You know, there could be 80-some points. There could be 20-some points. Uh, I think this is a good chance to say, as much as it frustrates me to see that drop like that, uh, you know, if you actually feel pretty strongly about it, 
this is not something where I would suggest buying a bunch of points to get to you know a certain thing. Well, the key number is 55, so let's pay minus 140 or minus 150. Uh, there's just too much variance in that, kind of like I rail against using teasers. Uh, you don't want to be <laughs> buying points, especially on totals. It's just, just not a good idea. It's a key number, but it's not that key. Um, you know, you, you want to try to get the best of the number that you can. So if you feel like you have an edge early in the week, I would suggest betting it early in the week. Uh, but, you know, you do the best you can. And, and here in this spot, the East Carolina one got steamed just, just a little bit here before the show. But uh, hopefully it won't matter here. It totally, totally makes sense. Uh, Parker, I want to ask you on this. Uh, who would you bet based off the odds for the Sun Belt Championship? Uh, I would imagine we're looking at App State. Uh, Kyle and I both had Troy to win the Sun Belt West, et cetera. Uh, Parker, you you got a thought on the Sun Belt here? Um, I like I like App State. I like their continuity. I like that Chase Bryce is not their quarterback anymore. <laughs> um, I think he is the quarterback, uh, isn't he? Is he is he still there? Yeah, um, he's yeah, still there. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, um, I would like it if Chase. Maybe you don't like him as much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it as much more. Um, I think App State's fine. I, I the, the big issue for me is like, can someone like a? I, I really don't like the West very much this year. Can 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 someone like a Georgia State, who had a pretty good defense last season and needs some offense, like can they replicate and kind of push that move out of that middle class? I'm not really sure. Um, Coastal Carolina is a team I have circled to kind of stay away from, just because their offense is is it's novel and it's kind of a gimmick and it's more and more on paper and, and, and they they've lost a lot and they continue to lose a lot. And I just don't know how long they're going to keep straight up confusing opponents. They might be able to beat opponents. I just don't know like how often they're going to be able to kind of replicate this. Hey, we're completely baffled by what you're throwing down. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm off them a little bit um, as like a national contender as, as, as a, um, you know, double digit win bet, but, but generally um, I, I, I do like app state. They've been the most consistent and there's been a lot of turnover in the, in the Sun Belt. Most certainly. Kyle, you got a thought on uh, on a Sunbelt team here outside of no, Troy, I, mean, I guess? I would just take a long shot on Troy, assuming that it won't win. But, you know, with the future, if they happen to actually get to the title game, you could hedge out of that and make a nice profit. But, you know, like Gary said, uh, we both like Sunbelt West Troy. So I think the Sunbelt's uh, wide open enough that taking a, a bit of a long shot's worth a, worth a shot there. Oh, most certainly. Uh, Brickfields jumped in. Most important weekday game. Can Bryant be the next FCS team to take down FIU? Kyle, you got a thought on this one? I, I honestly don't. I, you know, I, I'm just going to, I've got to be honest and transparent. I know nothing about Bryant. I, you guys in the chat probably know more about Bryant than I do. I know, I know plenty about FIU and it's not good. But, uh, yes. You know, Mike McIntyre debut. Yeah. Good uh, coach. Good coach. Yeah. Maybe it'll take some time, but. But uh, no, I I don't have any opinion on this game. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. The gun the gunslinger Max B no longer no longer going to be starting. They're going to go with Gunnar Holmberg. So uh, they you know they all last season we asked, won't somebody help Max B out at uh, FIU? And uh, uh, maybe the passing offense is going to be uh, a little different uh, going forward. No idea about Bryant though. No FCS data. <laughs> no FCS data. Yeah, I feel the same. Uh, how about this? Shane H. Can Minnesota cover thirty six and a half points against New Mexico State? Uh, I will answer that and say yes, probably, but it kind of depends on whether or not they want to, right? New Mexico State, it's it's what we said on the show last week. Like, yes, obviously there's a coaching mismatch with Jerry Kill against Ken Wilson for Nevada, but the talent discrepancy is so huge that Minnesota could probably name their score here. Uh, they, I will tell you this, the quarterback, uh, Frakes, I believe, for New Mexico State, Looked pretty good, but 
man, those receivers did not help him at all in that ball game against Nevada. And, you know, you end up with five turnovers in that game. I mean, you have five turnovers against Minnesota. You start giving them short fields. Uh, yeah, 36 and a half would be nothing. But, I mean, how many times have you really seen Minnesota score over 40 points? So that's that's where I sit on it. Parker, you got a thought on it? I can't believe you're not buying into the uh, Jerry Kill revenge game here. Um, my question <laughs> is not can Minnesota. It's exactly what you said. Not can Minnesota cover. Are you going to bet money on a, a shockingly conservative Minnesota team to do anything they don't have to to win a football game? 126th in rush rate over expected. Um, I I have them. My model technically has them covering. Am I going to make money betting on a very slow Minnesota team to run up the score against a bad opponent on week one? No. Nope. Nope, not at all. Kyle, what about you? You got a play on this one? Well, I mean, I think Minnesota can score as much as they want to score here, like you guys said. Now, uh, Kale made some comments about P.J. Fleck and said something like, you know, I'm not exactly thrilled. Uh, maybe P.J. Fleck wants to run up the score against them. I don't, I don't think they like each other very much. So I think this is one that I'll want to keep my eye on a little bit. Um, I, I wouldn't feel confident betting New Mexico State, I'll tell you that. Oh, no. uh, New Mexico State's defense looked better last week, but Nevada just looked terrible on offense. I really think that was more Nevada than it was New Mexico State. Um, Minnesota was dead last in tempo last year out of anybody, so laying that many points with them. Uh, you know, if it weren't for the uh, the fact that I don't think these two coaches like each other, I think I might have taken the under in this game, but I'm a little bit worried that Minnesota might go ahead and keep their foot on the gas. It's entirely possible. Uh, F-123 jumps in. He said uh, he's got two questions. I noticed a lot of people bashing Nebraska for their loss. We didn't even mention the Scott Frost aspect of anything this week, but uh, regardless, he said uh, the loss against Northwestern could actually be a very good team in the West this year with the running in the quarterback game. Um, yeah, we'll start with that one. How's that? Kyle, give me your thoughts on Northwestern. Is this a good football team, or did Nebraska just lose to a bad football team? Well, I mean, this is an even year, so, you know, Northwestern, you know, on their even years, you, they, they bounce back. Fitzgerald's a really good coach. I like Fitzgerald, one of my favorite coaches in the country. Um, I don't think Northwestern's really a good team, but I think they're quite a bit better than last year. Uh, you know, I don't think Holinsky is going to look like that in other games. I, I think last week I was even more disappointed with the Nebraska defense than the offense. I mean, the defense, that was terrible. Um you know, to be honest with you, I think Northwestern is just going to be one of those sneaky teams that could knock off anybody, but they're really not that talented. They're high. Their ceiling is not that high. So uh, I think my argument would be Nebraska is supposed to be better than that, right? You know, they're supposed to have better talent. They're supposed to be, uh, we know there's no black shirts here, you know, like they were in the past or anything, but Nebraska should be good enough to beat Northwestern. And the fact that they weren't, and there were some questionable coaching decisions, especially the onside kick, uh, I, I think uh, Frost probably at least deserves the heat there. Yeah, most certainly. You remember the movie Old School where Will Ferrell is answering the questions and he he's talking to James uh, Carville and he's just rattling off all of this information and then he wakes up, right? That's what I feel like some of these quarterbacks do every now and then where they just get in a zone and they black out. And I feel like that may be what Ryan Holinsky did, uh, but I would like to see it again just to make sure, right? Like, Let's see Ryan Holinsky against somebody else because I wonder if that Nebraska defense was awful. Uh, Parker, you know, me and you texted during that ball game. It's I don't even know what to say about Nebraska at this point because nothing that they're trying is helping anything. But what are your thoughts on what happened in Ireland last week? 
I don't know that anybody's necessarily bashing Nebraska for specifically losing to Northwestern. I think we're all bashing Nebraska for taking a positive game script and hoping and that a that a high variance, low probability outcome somehow goes in your favor so you can go to the press conference after the game and say, look what I did. Um, that, that realistically, like that's that's what it comes down to is the way in which they lost is what's so embarrassing. They played better than the Northwestern until they flipped the game script on purpose and just completely collapsed. So they performed exactly according to my model. Uh, Northwestern's offense did exactly what I expected, except they got two short fields and they scored touchdowns on those short fields because they were gifted to them. So that, that we're, we're, we're not bashing Nebraska. Um, it doesn't mean anything about Northwestern. We're bashing the way they lost. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're 100% right, because they do this all the time. Uh, second question here said, uh, without knowing the future and assuming all goes well, at what point do you think Penn State starts to get taken seriously as a conference or even playoff contender? And then he said, love the show, guys. Uh, I think that they are they are still considered, or they're, they're taken seriously. The problem is you've got Michigan and Ohio State in the same division. Like, you get them out of that division, and I think you'll have a, a little more playoff talk about them but maybe I'm crazy. Uh, Kyle, you know, you got a thought on this one? Well, I, I don't think anybody's doubting the upside of a team like Penn State. I think Penn State's capable of doing big things. They haven't been terribly consistent. And like I said, the huge question is just whether their offensive line can be decent. They don't have to be good. They just need to be decent, mediocre. Um, I think Penn State is capable of pulling off a win against anybody. You know, I don't I don't think that they're going to be consistent enough to be, you know, a playoff team or something like that. But they recruit at such a high level that there's always a, a possibility, uh, you know, like you said, uh, you know, this is a, a conference that's really loaded, especially on their side. So that's no fault of theirs. I think Penn State's still a very good program. Uh, it's just a it's it's a tough ask. Yes. Uh, Parker, you kind of feel the same on this one. Yeah, just get out of the East. When the Big Ten goes to pods or whatever and they're not playing the schedule, I think that they'll be there. But also when they can, I, I think they've got some thoughts uh, about how they're training in the offseason with the consistent kind of injury um, luck they've had. Might be worth a look. Yeah, no, that does that does make sense. Uh, we've got quite a few more questions in here, but I will tell you what. Uh, we have gone an hour and 20 minutes here, so we are probably going to go ahead and wrap this thing up, hit our recap, and then remember – we will be back again tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So let's go ahead and hit that picks recap on this one. Uh, Parker, let's go ahead and start off with you on the left side of the screen here. Give me West Virginia 7 plus 7.5. Give me Penn State minus 3.5. Houston minus 4. And Tulsa minus 6.5 this week. And I am actually agreeing with you on two of these here. I've got two plays. West Virginia uh, plus 7.5 on the road at Pitt. And Penn State, minus three and a half on the road at Purdue. Kyle, tell me what you got. I have Central Michigan and Oklahoma State under 59 and a half, and then North Carolina State and East Carolina under 52. Very, very nice. All right, that is going to cl uh, clean things out. We're going to close up shop for the day, but we'll be back again tomorrow. Remember, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, 1 p.m. Eastern time, right here on YouTube and on Twitter. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Make sure and like the video for us if you've not already. And, of course, share the show out. Jump into the chat. Jump into the comments. We want to know your picks. We want to know what you've got at that number, etc. Uh, and, of course, subscribe to the podcast as well, the BetUS Football Show. With that said, I think we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, you guys hit us up. We're on Twitter, everywhere else. Jump in the comments, like I said. But with that said, for BetUS, where the game begins, God bless college football, and we will see you all again tomorrow.